Now we will do our scripture reading. We're in Daniel 3, continuing our series in Daniel. If you want to turn to it in the Red Pew Bibles, it is page 739. Or you can turn to it in your own Bible or your iPhone or wherever else you turn to the scriptures. But page 739 in the Red Bibles. I'm going to read Daniel 3, 1 through 7 for this morning. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, You are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word this morning and ask that uh, your church would hear you. And more importantly than hearing you, God, that we would be changed by you, that we would be desirous of how you mold us into your image more and more as we commune with you. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This is arguably the best story known in the entire book of Daniel. Uh, I think all the children learn about this at some point. It's in all the children's Bibles. Um, But just to do a little quick review, um, in chapter 2, we find this really humble posture that Nebuchadnezzar took, um, paying homage to Daniel and to God, um, as well as homage to Shadrach, Mejach, and Abednego, and all these guys have actually been promoted um, because of his lesson learned, and this is how chapter 2 ends. Let's go back to verse 47. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. Then when we get to chapter 3, things kind of take a turn here, and we read on that the king built this huge golden image of himself on the plain of Dura, and that's where Pastor Nate read verses 1 and 2. This 
this gold statue. I'm going to refrain from reading the verses that he's already read because uh, there's some repetition there. But this golden statue is about 90 feet tall. It's about nine feet wide. Uh, That's the cubits that they're speaking of there. And it's the place, the general place, where the Tower of Babel was built in Shinar because Shinar is also in the province of Babylon. So at that tower, at the Tower of Babel back in Genesis, the people declared themselves to be the ones in control, to be the ones in power, and that God would have to kind of humble them and scatter them there. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with it, top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so it just begs the question over and over again that uh, people just don't learn, do they? Like we, we We just don't learn. And this is Nebuchadnezzar. This is what's happening here in chapter three. And this is actually what happens to us over and over again throughout our lifetimes. There are things God shows us, he teaches us, and when we hear these things and what God does, we get enchanted by God, but we're not changed by God. We feel conviction, but we don't change. Now, the time between chapter 2 and chapter 3 is believed to be around 10 years, and how quickly Nebuchadnezzar has forgotten what Daniel told him in chapter 2, just about 10 years earlier. And Daniel told him that he was going to be this head of gold, and I think that really did get to his head, and so he virtually, like literally made that. And he made this image of gold, and he seems to disregard what Daniel told him just 10 years earlier about a kingdom being toppled by another and that his kingdom is going to be toppled, that this image of gold was to symbolize his power and the power of Babylon. And Babylon is a symbol of humanity's pride. It's a symbol of rebellion. When you look at Jerusalem in terms of symbolic symbols, Jerusalem is a symbol of God and his people who are obedient to his rule. So when Nebuchadnezzar builds this image, it is in direct opposition to God. It's to lift his own name up high and to tell God, I'm greater. I'm the greatest. I mean, check out this gold image. How much resource this cost. How many people it needed to build this thing. I'm great. And in chapter 1, Daniel and his buddies here have, have shown that the need that they've had because they're exiles. They've been exiled from Jerusalem and into this captivity And they are assured that God is sovereign, that God is in control, even though they're living as exiles. And so they're so sure of this that they're not going to compromise who they are regardless of what's happening all around them. And then they're raised to these positions of honor in Babylon, and God guides his people even in these really dire circumstances of being captive. And chapter 1 reminds us that God is indeed still in control, even when the things seem out of control. Then we got to chapter 2 last week, and we saw how God is the one who unseats rulers and he sets up rulers, and that God's kingdom will stand while all these other kingdoms are going to come and go. God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Now we're in chapter 3. We read about the sovereign God, sovereign God delivering his people from this fiery furnace, and what seems like an obvious defeat, God delivers his people. And whether he does 
or doesn't in this particular circumstance, they will not serve foreign gods even if it means their physical death. Now in verses 3 to 6, you'll notice, um, not just in those verses, but moving on, there's a lot of repetition in Daniel when he mentions like people, he mentions like all these people. And when he mentions an instrument, he mentions all these instruments. Like why can't you just put instruments? Or why can't you just put high-ranking people? Like why do you go blah, 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 right? Why do you do that? Well, the writer is purposely putting in the repetition because he's emphasizing these people. He's emphasizing what's happening because, you know, they didn't have word processing for you, us, to like italicize or to underline or to make bold or anything like this or to put highlighters or different colors. So the way that they do this is they just repeat it. They repeat it so that they're like, okay, you got this, you got this. And for us, it's just like, oh, come on. Like, you're just doing this. But this is the writer's way to emphasize something. And so you'll notice this word, set up. Set up is mentioned eight times in Daniel 3. And it's to show that it's Nebuchadnezzar who is setting up. He's doing it out of himself, as a person, his agenda. He's the one setting up. And how the people in verses 2, 3, and 27, they're repeated to give us a picture of all of these high officials who were there to witness what was happening, that they were going to all be in agreement with what was happening. And when they see the king and they hear the music, and all of them are going to submit. All of them are going to bow down. All the highest ranking people in this entire empire are going to submit to Nebuchadnezzar. And then you notice all the instruments, verses 5, 7, 10, 15, they're also repeated. And it's to show what a spectacle this was. And it's to give us an idea of what it looked like visually. If you can just imagine just this humongous band of people that are going to play all of these instruments. And then imagine what that's going to sound like. And so the author here is just painting a picture for us as to what this looks like, what this sounds like. I mean, this is quite a show. This is amazing. This is for a lot of people to hear. If you can just imagine the sound emanating from where all this is happening. And they're all there because that was the sign that everyone would hear. And they would see this golden statue 90 feet up in the air, 9 feet wide, and then they would fall down and worship this idol. This king. And after all of this setting up of the image with all the high-ranking people and all the instruments, if you do not fall down in worship, you'll be thrown into this fiery furnace. There's no trial. There's no hearing. There's nothing. If you don't do this, you're going to be burned to death. And some of us think, oh, that's like so cute. Well, like they're not, uh, it's not a firing squad. It's not this whatever. They're just going to be thrown into a furnace. But this is reality that many people have died this way. And this was a very known way of dying in Babylon in terms of capital punishment because it was a very easy way for them to exterminate a lot of people. So you look at Jeremiah 29, 22. And the prophet Jeremiah wrote this, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. And this is the same king. This is Nebuchadnezzar. He was known to do this. This didn't cost him anything. Just throw him in the fire. 
And Nebuchadnezzar had this reputation. He has no problem whatsoever killing people. And after all the work, all the money, all the time he spent to build this gigantic golden image of himself and gathering all these people, all these high-ranking officials of Babylon, all these musicians to worship him, is anyone going to dare disrespect all the effort he's put to worship him? No way. If there's any disrespect to him being up there as God, you'll just die. We'll just burn you to death. And everybody knew this. Everybody knew this would happen. Everybody knew this guy would not hesitate to kill people. Now picking up in verse 7 here is, Therefore, as soon as all the prophets heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, don't like Scottish people or Irish people take credit for that instrument, but it's here, bagpipe. It's Persian. And every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, instruments, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace... There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so you can picture, they hear the and then everyone falls down, worshiping the image, and then there's these three guys who won't. It's a Pretty sad picture, really, if you think about this, if you can picture it in your mind, that all these people bowing down before an image that was made, they made it. It wasn't like uh, our God who's not made. He's the creator. And this golden image is temporary. And just right around the corner, they were going to be dethroned by the Medo-Persians. They were going to dethrone the Babylonian Empire. You can just follow world history about that. You don't even have to believe in the Bible to believe that. What temporary idols are we bowing down to? And thinking about just temporary circumstances or temporary leaders or temporary ideologies and powers temporary things. What are those things that we're bowing down to? Now, some question that people have uh, at this time is, where's Daniel? Because um, he's not mentioned here. Well, if you look back to chapter 2, verse 49, he's in the king's court. So my thought is, is maybe he remained back in this court and he wasn't out on the plain of Dura where all this stuff is happening. He's back in the king's court. But it's, Daniel's not there. We read of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They are there, and there were these Chaldeans who were maliciously accusing them. Now, these Chaldeans seem to be uh, kind of sinister here, and they're reminding the king who appointed those guys to those positions, like, King, um, your plan, that three-year plan, I don't know if it really worked because they're not really serving your gods. 
and um, all the time you invested into them with the education and the food and living in your palace and all this kind of stuff, like, this is how they repay you? I mean, can, can you believe that, king? They, they don't pay any attention to you? Now, I think this is probably a lie because that's how they got to their high positions is they did give regard to the king. They did serve the king. But the truth is that they don't serve Nebuchadnezzar as God. They serve him as a king, but not as a God. They don't serve Nebuchadnezzar's gods or worship them or this golden image. Picking up in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of those instruments and fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so we read, Nebuchadnezzar gives these guys one more chance, but they won't worship him, they won't worship the king's gods, they, they believe God will deliver them, and this is the really puzzling thing. How can a group of exiles believe this? Because it was just like 10 years ago that they were pulled out of Jerusalem as captives and made to do these things, made to take on new names, made to be re-educated and learn the Babylonian ways and all this kind of stuff. How can exiles think like this? How can they believe that God will deliver them when he didn't deliver them 10 years earlier? But they do. And even if they have to die, they're not going to bow. They're not going to worship anyone, anything, except for the Most High God. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, <clears throat> when we read something like seven times more, I, I don't think they had a thermometer to measure, like, it's 100. Go to 700. Like, I, I don't think, like, that's not what the author's saying, right? That's not what, when, when he says seven times more, he's essentially just saying, like, as hot as it goes. Do it, you know, like Princess Bride, when the guy just, like, cranks it up. It's just, like, as high as it goes. Like, no, no, no. And that's, that's what it is. Like, he's so mad. He's just so mad. I mean, think about this. He could have killed those guys at whatever the temperature was already, like 400 degrees or whatever it is, right? What's the difference? They're, they're going to die anyway. Like, what's the difference between 400 and 1,000 degrees? Like, what's the difference? But this is how mad he is. He's just so mad. Like, just crank it up. And he's just furious. And he, he wants to make these guys an example, right? He wants, to, he wants to show, I am going to burn them to a crisp. And I want everyone to hear this furnace get cranked up. 
I want everyone to see all the flames that get moved by this thing. I want people to feel the heat and feel the power of this furnace. For anyone who dare cross me, that's what happens. Now this furnace, what was this? Well, this furnace is, is humongous. These are the furnaces that helped build the city. They, they were made to bake bricks for all of Babylon. This is a humongous furnace. And as they produce bricks for the city, and now that it's probably, uh, we, we can use this to kill people. So let's stop making bricks. Whoever doesn't do this, we're just going to put people in there. We're going we're gonna to kill them. And the estimation is that these ovens, these furnaces, do reach 900 to 1,000 degrees centigrade. So hot that these three guys were put in there, but the guys that were around them died from those flames. And the, the way that these guys survive, it's, it's miraculous. I mean, this thing is really hot. This is really loud. This is really fiery, as, as hot as these things can get. And all of the people around there, instead of witnessing their death, witness their survival. Yes. <laughs> Dramatic effect. <laughs> what timing. Verse 20. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, they didn't even bother to tell these guys, take your stuff off and we're going to throw you in. We're just going to throw you in as is. Verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Here's something interesting about obedience. Obedience to God doesn't always get you in a great place with people. You often end up in not so good positions where people aren't going to like you and they're not going to think all that well of you. That's a cost. But more than anything that we can offer God, it is so much more pleasing to God to be obedient than to give him anything else. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in, in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. They were going to be obedient to the commandment of God in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, where it says, you shall have no other gods before me. They were going to be obedient to that. You know, we, we, we think about what we can offer God and the sacrifices we make and all these things, but what can you truly offer God who has everything? other than obedience that would cost something that he would actually 
cherish, to, to give of yourself, your heart, your attitude. <clears throat> now the gods before us, they may be a little bit different in that we might not build shrines to them or we might not have like this physical thing. But it's pretty easy to identify our gods because all you have to do is look at where you spend your money and where you spend your time and where you spend your efforts. And so oftentimes, I, I think I have four little gods around me because I spend a lot of money on those little gods and a lot of time and a lot of effort. And I have to be reminded, those aren't my gods. God is my God. And I have to prioritize them. Is there something, is there someone that has become our God? Something that pulls us away from the Most High God. And they truly believed Almighty God would deliver them, even as exiles, where God didn't come through, where they were held captive. But even though they were going to die a physical death in this fiery furnace, they knew if we are not obedient, we may live through this physical fire, but there's an everlasting fire we're not going to live through. And yet God did deliver them from this fiery furnace, and he does deliver them from an everlasting fire as well. And then they notice this fourth person in there with him. And who is this fourth person? A lot of debate here, a lot of commentaries you can read about who this fourth person is. There are some who believe that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus, and then there are some who believe that it's an angel, and those are kind of like the two biggest camps that uh, people believe in. I personally think that it's an angel and not the pre-incarnate Jesus, and if we disagree about that, we disagree. I'm not going to fight you about it. You can believe what you want to believe. I'll show you why I believe what I believe later on, but I believe it's an angel. But isn't it interesting that some Christians think that if we are obedient to God, we won't face the fire? And we all know that's not true, don't we? Because we've all faced something. There are always these temporary fires in our life. And if we're not experiencing one now, we have experienced one in the past or one is coming. But just because we're obedient to God doesn't mean that we have this easy life that we just walk through and then we have no problems. That's not the case at all. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are saved from this everlasting fire, but we don't always get out of those temporary ones that we've all experienced in life. And yes, we can experience peace in those times, but we still experience the tribulation. It doesn't just go away. We still go through it. John said, or Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulations. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now back to Daniel chapter 3 and verse 26 here. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. 
Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, and all, all those guys gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The, the hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Miraculous. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their god. And so we see those who accuse them are, are right there to witness this miracle. Those Chaldeans who accused them and, and, and God did deliver them. The same God who delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. The same God who gave the Israelites to the Babylonians. And thank you, Luke and team, for singing that worship song he gives and takes away because it's, it's so true. And then he delivers these three guys. And you notice that God did not deliver them from entering into the fire. They still went through it. But he did deliver them in that fire. They were delivered from dying there. But the thing is, they'll eventually die. There is a time and place for when that happens, and God doesn't deliver them into not experiencing death. And this angel delivered them from this physical death, but it is Jesus who delivers us into everlasting life. The angel accompanied them in that fiery furnace, but the angel didn't give his life to save them, as Jesus does for us. So I think it's an angel, and believe what you want to believe. It's, it's fine. It's, it's okay. You have permission. What did these guys do? They trusted God. They trusted God. And while Nebuchadnezzar set up all of this, they set aside. Set aside the king's command. They yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. And this is something I think many people struggle with. Yielding up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god. And that could be all sorts of different gods. It could be some sex god because you're addicted to pornography or you're having sex outside of marriage or whatever it may be, that there are different gods that we serve with our bodies. The gluttony god. I mean, that's, I think that's the sin that most Christians don't ever talk about, isn't it? Like they talk about, don't get drunk and don't get... But what if you just, like, eat too much? Gluttony. It's in the Bible. What we do to our bodies, it matters. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What we do with these physical bodies is really important. And, I mean, I, I'll be the first to confess, I need to take care of myself better as well. I mean, I'm not, you know, a specimen of health or something. But I, I, we need to do this. And it's, it's sad because I've known so many 
people who were used mightily by God and their time kind of cut short because they haven't been taking care of themselves, whether that be a heart attack or a stroke or whatever it may be. It's important how we take care of our bodies. Now, verse 29, Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now you notice Nebuchadnezzar doesn't lift up necessarily Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is right for the king to recognize. He does promote them, but he, he seems to see God again. He seems to recognize God again. The same miraculous and powerful God that he met a decade ago. But here's the question. Does he really change? He's definitely enchanted by God. But does he change? Not really, because if you continue reading on in the book of Daniel, you'll, you'll see that. He kind of changes for these little moments, just these temporary moments. And then he's right back to where he was again. And then he gets impressed by God again. Like, whoa, this thing, fiery furnace, I heated it up as hot as I could, and not even a hair, not even their clothes burned. This is a miracle. Wow, this is so cool. Your God is so impressive. You guys are so impressive. You guys didn't even bat an eye to, like, say no to me, who could kill you. But he still doesn't change. He's enchanted, and he's impressed, and he admires, but he doesn't change. We encounter people like this all the time, don't we? Where God does this beautiful, wonderful thing that God delivers in some really miraculous way, whether in a financial situation or just health situation or whatever it may be, a relationship. But then they don't change. They experience this miracle and they're impressed by God and they admire God, but they don't change. Now, if Nebuchadnezzar did indeed change, if he was transformed by God, I think the story would have continued on by saying Nebuchadnezzar took down that golden image of himself. And he dispersed this crowd and he told everyone, hey, when I do this, instead of worshiping the golden image, we're going to worship God. We don't read anything like that. And then we continue reading on in Daniel and it's definitely not that way. And in the next chapter, he's as prideful as one can be. He, he looks out into the empire and he credits himself for building this thing. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that story next week. But it's so incredible how people can experience a miracle from God in one moment and in the very next moment walk away from God as if nothing happened. Like, that was neat. I'm going to live my life. And this is how a lot of people are. I hope this isn't any of us where we get enchanted by God and impressed by God and admiring God just to find that there's really no change in us. We just revert back to the old person we used to be. And we can continually hear God's word, but we're not transformed by his word. And so is there an idol that we need to tear down instead of keeping it up and just saying, oh, that was cool, that was great but my idol's still standing there. Is there something we need to pull down? 
because there's only one who can rescue us. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. This is partly why I also believe it's an angel. And Anyway. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. There's only one. There's only one who can deliver us from the wages of sin, which is death. And that is Jesus Christ. Everything perishes. Everything. Our strength, our riches, our intelligence. Just give it time. It all fades away. It all goes away. It all perishes. And if anyone is to boast about anything or in anything, it's in the Lord. I want to end with this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask for your forgiveness for anywhere where we have been misled by an idol where we still have it standing right before us. Would you change us, transform us that we have the courage to tear that down? To realize that whatever that God is, it has no strength for everlasting, that it is just temporary. Would you give us the ability to live for you in this world where it is very difficult to uphold what you direct us to do with so many different pressures around us, but would you give us the strength and the perseverance to do that in Jesus' name? Amen.